Hello, and welcome to AOL Church, a place to connect. This is where we gather together common people and equip them to live connected lives. AOL Church exists to connect with God, connect with people, and ultimately connect people with God. Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. Now, let's listen in on this week's sermon. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 17 through verse 24. It begins reading like this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel, that he will offer his oblation for all his vows, for all his free will offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. Here's the instructions. Verse 19 says, Ye shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves, that's cattle, of course, of sheep or of the goats. But whatsoever hath a blemish that shall ye not offer for it shall not be acceptable for you and whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a free will offering in beeves cattle or sheep it shall be perfect it shall be perfect to be accepted there shall be no blemish therein then he begins to list a various indications a various uh, uh, categories that would render the sacrifice unacceptable Verse 22 says, blind or broken or maimed or having a wind or scurvy or scabbed, ye shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either a bullock or a lamb that has anything superfluous, which means extra part, or lacking in its parts, in its parts, that mayest thou offer for a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. Verse 24. Ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed, or broken, or cut, neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land. Are you getting the picture? The Lord is saying, you're not going to dig around in the corners of your pastures and find something that's not worth anything and bring it to me and think, I'm going to be impressed with that. 
You're going, you're not going just to bring anything that nobody wants anyway and bring it in and lay it before me and think I'm going to be impressed by your generous gesture. You're not going to bring me something that's not going to cost you something. I'll wait for somebody. You're not just going to, you're not going to bring me something that's not going to cost you something. You're going to bring me something that's going to be the best you've got. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try it again. You're going to bring me something that's going to be the best you've got. And I really do think when we come to the house of God, we ought to bring the best that we got. Oh, I'm going to go somewhere. Just hold on. Hallelujah. We, shall, we ought to bring the best that we got. Not just some praise that we, dra- that we just dragged out of bed. Not just some hand clap with an attitude that's attached to it. Not just play acting and going through the motions just that we look good. But I think we should bring the best that we got. Hallelujah to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. With that said, did anybody bring the best praise, the best worship, the best shout? Did anybody, hallelujah, bring the best that you have to the house of the Lord? Our God deserves our best praise. Our God deserves our best hand clap. Our God deserves our best. Hallelujah. He deserves the best that you got. He deserves, hallelujah, everything that we have. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to preach about that today. My interest today is on the other side of the equation. My interest today is in this. What does the shepherd do with the blemished, marked, flawed, imperfect, defective, disfigured lamb? What do you do with the one that has some problems, issues, scars? What plans? Does the shepherd have for that one? What plans does God have for the one that's not perfect? I'm preaching simply on this. The Lord changed it through two or three times yesterday. I'm glad what the praise team sang because that's what I'm preaching about. I'm preaching about this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Before you're seated, I know we've done it many times, hallelujah, since we've been here. But before you're seated, can you give God a praise that you're satisfied with? If he ever healed your body, delivered you, picked you up, turned you around, touched you, blessed you, would you give God that kind of praise right now? Hallelujah. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're expecting God to do something for you in this service, would you give him that kind of praise? If you're expecting God to give you a miracle, would you give him that kind of praise? If you're expecting God to deliver you, give him that kind of praise. If you're expecting a word from the Lord today, give him that kind of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the name of Jesus again. Thank you for being here, all of our guests. Wow, we are so thankful that you are with us in the house of the Lord today. (laughs) Praise God. Social distancing. Hallelujah. And we are uh, doing everything that we can to keep you safe. Praise God. And it's always great to come to the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's nothing like being a guest and then being put right in the front row. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. It's all going to be good. Hallelujah. Have you ever met anyone outside the Lord? Have you? Have you ever met anyone that was perfect? Let me rephrase it. Have you ever met anyone that thought they were perfect? (laughs) There is is an article some years back that came out in the paper. And I want you to note from the beginning that it was written by a woman. She told about a perfect couple. She told about a perfect couple. It's a perfect man married to a perfect woman. They drove the perfect car. They lived in the perfect house. They had perfect teeth, which made they had a perfect smile. They had perfect kids. They had perfect jobs. Everything was perfect. They were driving one night. This lady said that's writing this article on Christmas Eve, they were driving along and they happened to see up ahead of them, off in the ditch, the battered remains of a sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Santa had blowed out a runner on his sleigh and it was in a ditch. So being the perfect couple, they stopped to see if they could help. And they loaded up Santa up in the back of their car and they started down the road to help him deliver at a high rate of speed because you've got to travel pretty fast to get to every house in one evening. And as you can imagine, the weather conditions were not good and they went off the road and they hit a tree. Okay? And this lady said there was only one survivor in this accident. And then she posed this question, Who survived? And then she answered the question, it was the woman. Because she said, everyone knows that Santa and a perfect man do not exist. (laughs) 
Laugh it up now. But the next week, a man wrote a response and said, of course, it was the woman. She's the one driving. That explains the accident. So the, trip, the simple truth is we understand that outside of Jesus Christ, there's no one who's perfect. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's no one that's perfect. We can dress ourselves up the best that we can. We can come in this place, but every one of us in this place right now has flaws. Can I get some real people? Hallelujah. Everybody in this place, hallelujah, has flaws. Everyone here today has issues. That's why I thank God for the grace of God that has saved us. I thought I'd get a little bit more on that. I thank God for the grace of God that saved us. Let me try it like this. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we don't know where we'd be today. Hello? We don't know what we'd be doing today, and we don't know how we'd be living today, but by the grace of God, we are in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. We can lift up the name of Jesus. We can clap our hands. Hallelujah. Somebody should give God praise for the grace of God that's in your life. I promise you, hallelujah, all right, hallelujah, I promise you, I promise you, we would not be in this place singing about how great our God is, hallelujah, we would not be in this place, hallelujah, listening to a praise team singing how great and magnificent and perfect and how glorious and how powerful our God is, I thank God for his grace. Hallelujah. We're not perfect. And yet the Bible uniquely speaks to us and calls us perfect. I, in fact, I can make a real good case from Scripture that perfection is a part of our past and a part of our present and a part of our future. Mm -hmm. I can show you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says. For by one offering. He hath perfected. That's past tense. For every forever them that are sanctified. For by one offering. He hath perfected. That's past tense. Forever them that are sanctified. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers, for the perfecting, that's right now, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
First Peter 5 and 10 then says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by, G by Christ Jesus, after that he suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, that's future. I'm telling you that God looks at you and says you are posit positionally perfect in your past. You are practically perfect in your present. And you are prophetically perfect in your future. When God looks at your life, he sees you through the blood of Calvary. Oh my gosh. Somebody should get on that. When God looks at you, he sees you through the blood of Calvary. Somebody needs to stare down your enemy and says, you're not going to beat me up any longer. Hallelujah. Over the mistakes I made. Hallelujah. When my heavenly father looks at me, he sees me perfect. Somebody needs to get bold with the enemy right now and tell your enemy, hallelujah, quit bringing up my mistakes, quit bringing up my downfalls, quit bringing up things that I've done because when my heavenly father looks at me, he sees me perfect. Hallelujah. But that perfection... That completeness, that wholeness only exists in Jesus Christ. Outside of him, we are anything but perfect. The Old Testament law contained detailed instructions for every facet of life for Israel. When Israel met Moses, or when God met Moses on on the Mount Sinai, he unveiled to him all the regulations that he would expect of Israel going forward. And it touched every aspect of their life. I mean, God told them how to live, how to dress, how to work, what to eat. He told them everything about their life. And how they were to do it. He covered everything about how to keep their animals pinned up. How to deal with health crisis. He dealt with everything about their life. And Israel was expected to live by those things. Hello, yeah? Because God's got this little hang up. He thinks he's God. God has this identity crisis. He thinks that he's God. And he kind of has the idea that if he got us out of slavery, if he brought us out of darkness, if he brought us out of our sin, he's got the right to tell us how to live. Mm. He looked at Israel and said, if this stuff bothers you, go back to building pyramids. 
if you don't like a God that gets intrusive into your life and tells you how to live, go back in serving Pharaoh. Go back to serving Egypt. Go back to serving the world. Go back to serving the drugs and the alcohol and the abusive lifestyle and the life and the world that you had with no hope. But if you're glad that he set you free, if you're glad that he set you free, then don't be upset when God steps in and tells you how to live. If he brought you out of a pit of hell, don't be afraid. Don't get upset when he tells you how to do it and where to go and what direction. And don't do this and don't do that. If he brought you out, hallelujah, of a dark situation. If he rescued you from a life of sin and drugs, hallelujah, an abusive lifestyle, don't get upset. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If he set your feet on the rock, if he set your feet on solid ground, don't be upset. I will never understand people who get upset when this book tells them how to live. And how to dress. And how to be holy. Why should I be upset? Hallelujah. With God. When he set me free from sin. Why should I be upset with God? When he brought me out. Hallelujah. Of the world that I was dying and going to hell. Why should I be upset with him that rescued me from sin? If he brought me out of bondage. Hallelujah. Some of you should shout on that right now. When he brought me out of bondage. When he brought me out of things I couldn't get myself out of. When he brought me out of bondage, then he's got a right to tell me how to live. Hallelujah. If you understand, hallelujah, that he's got a right. If you understand, you love this book, would you give God just a hand clap of praise in this house right now? If you understand everything, hallelujah, in your life is contained in these 66 books, it will tell you what to do, how to do it, where to go, then give God praise over it. This is under attack in the world that we live in. This is under attack. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you, it's got the words of eternal life. Well, pastor, he did set us free. You know what he did, the Bible says, is more than just set you free. For the Bible says, he that is free from sin is a servant of righteousness. He didn't just set us free. We change masters. You understand, you still got a master. We change master. He's a loving one instead of a cruel one. But the master says, if you like being set free from bondage, 
If you like the fact I broke the addiction in your life, if you like the fact that you're not on your way to hell, but instead I'm building a mansion in heaven with your name on it, then you can't get upset when I step in and tell you how to live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If he heals you of cancer, you're not going to get upset when he steps in and tells you how to live. When he heals your child from some disease that's uncurable, you're not going to get upset from him telling you how to live. When he brings you out of a situation that you see there's no way out, no door open, but then God opens a door, you're not going to be upset when he tells you how to live. And so he gave some them instructions about everything in life. About everything in life. Then he was really pacific when he started giving instructions about how to worship. <laughs> oh my gosh. This huge passage in the law covers everything. In the law covers everything about their worship and how they're supposed to worship. He told them in such minute detail how to build the tabernacle. If we still could find the materials, we could build it today. That's how detailed it was. He said, it's going to be this long. It's going to be this high. It's going to be this many poles. It's going to be this many skins, this color, this many rings, this many sockets. Here's the dimension of the room. Here's the furniture that goes in the room. And if they decided they didn't like God's plan and tried to build it a different way, their sin would have never been taken care of. You want to know why it worked? I know we're social distancing, but help me out today. Just ask somebody beside you and say, you want to know why it worked? Okay, that was weak. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's ask, it again. ask somebody else. You know why it worked? Because the Bible says in Exodus 25 and 9, according to all that I showed thee, after the plan of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Now you can believe what you want to. It's a free country as of right now. It's a free country. And you've got every right to be wrong if you choose to. But if they built the tabernacle one foot longer than God told them to build it, he would have never come down and met with them there. Just one foot off. Just one foot longer. Just one foot more than what God said. He would have never came down and met them there. I believe with all my heart because God gives us instructions how to be saved. Not to be cruel, but to be kind. Oh, hallelujah. 
I'm going to get you. He didn't tell them. He didn't tell them how to deal with their sins because he was trying to be a tyrant. He was giving them instructions so their sins could be dealt with. When God says you must be born again, he's not being a tyrant. He's being good to us. I thought I'd get a little bit more on that. When God tells us you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, he's not being a bully. He's being a savior. When God says you're going to speak in tongues when the Spirit comes on you and when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it's not God being bad. It's God being good to us. Telling us how your sin is to be dealt with. Here's the way to be saved. So he lays this out to them layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. It's not about what you think. It's not about how you feel about it. He said if it's just one foot off. He said I'm telling you. I'm giving you instructions about your life. I'm giving you instructions about your salvation. I'm giving you instructions. If you want it to work, do it exactly the way that I planned it. Among the instructions he gave them was no less specific about the sacrifices that was going to be offered there. And they were manifold. Because if you look at it, you can go down the list. It was the Passover lamb. It was the lamb of atonement. It was a sin offering. It was the thanksgiving offering. It was the free will offering. It was the peace offering. It was the trespass offering. It was the wave offering. It was the purification of the unclean. It was the first fruits offering. It was the offering of appointed feasts. It was all of these things. And each one had its own guidelines. And every one of them had the specific guidelines as to what could be offered and how it was to be killed and what parts were to be kept and what parts were to be burned. All the instructions, the whole thing was spelled out. And any variance from what God specified would render the sacrifice unacceptable. One of the requirements for most not quite all, but most everything that was offered was this, that the lamb or the goat or the bullock or the turtle, whatever was being offered had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. This was non-negotiable. God would not settle for less than the best it when it was to be a sacrifice. Mm. I could stop here. I don't have time, but I could stop here and prove to you right now when the Bible says about a sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. He says, I require the best of every sacrifice. So when you come in, your praise and worship has to be perfect. Oh. He just don't accept anything. He just don't accept when, oh my God. He just don't accept when somebody comes in and says, 
Hallelujah. You give more to that when you find out Domino's has a two-for-one on pizza sale. You get more excited about that than you do about God. Hallelujah. It had to be perfect. <laughs> now I want pizza. Praise God. <clears throat> now you can imagine with me the care which a Hebrew shepherd would have to prepare a sacrifice that he was going to offer. He knows it has to be perfect. Can you imagine how carefully he would select or would have to select what he was going to take to the tabernacle to hand over to Aaron and the priest? He's a shepherd. He knows, that his he knows his flock. But can you imagine the night before he grabs a lamb? In his mind, he's running down the list of sheep in his head. And there are some he doesn't even have to go out and look at because he knows they're messed up. There's some that he doesn't even have to examine because he knows that they're all messed up. Can you see him going through the sheep in his mind? Now, I tried very carefully not to use anybody's name, okay? But if it happens to be your name, I'm not operating in the, uh, in, the, in, in the prophetic gift right now, okay? I'm not calling you out. It just happens to be that's the name that I chose, okay? Hallelujah. It's not that God's speaking to you. Or is it? Praise God. Hallelujah. He's going through the sheep in his mind. Kevin, oh, Kevin. Awesome. Kevin will never work. Kevin got that hind leg that is shorter than all the others. He limps just like his daddy. He limps just like his grandpa. They've been that way for generations. God loves their family, but he'll never work. Susan, I'm not even going to look. Susan, oh no, Susan is not going to work. She fell a while back. She had a horrible day. She fell and everybody knew it. It was public. She's wounded, she's scarred, and she's damaged. Billy and Bobby bump heads out there in the flock all the time. They're always fussing and fighting in the sanctuary, downstairs, in the parking lot, and everywhere else. They're not going to work. They've got bumps on their heads from butting heads with one another. And Jennifer... I'm not even going to look back there. <laughs> and Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer is not going to work either. She's got that one eye. That's a different color than the other eye. That one sneaky, lazy eye, poor thing. She ain't going to work either. All I know is that he went through his flock 
and eliminated this one and eliminated that one. And this one's got it. And this one is from a broken home. And that one was molested as a child. And this one committed adultery. And this one had a failure. And this one has a flaw. And this one's got a challenge with honesty. It means they're a liar. This one's, got a, this one's got a temper. That one's not good. This one's not good enough. That one has a problem. This one has an issue. And then it wasn't just the flaws that everybody knew about. When he found one that looked pretty good on Sunday. Then he had to bring it into his home and examine it for days. To make sure there wasn't hidden problems that other people couldn't see. He'd pull the wool apart to see if there was a scar on the hide and, and that dressed up good on Sunday. Looked good on Sunday, but now he's got it in the house and he's pulling the wool back to make sure there's no scars on the hide because you can dress it up. He'd pull the lips back and make sure there was no rotten teeth. He'd look at the bottom of the hoof to make sure it wasn't cracked where nobody could see it. Because if it wasn't, it wasn't just the public flaws. It was the private challenges. And when he finally found one that measured up, when he found one that was pure inside and outside, don't puff yourself up today and say, oh, he's talking about me. Hallelujah. When he found one that was pure on the inside and the outside, when he found that one that didn't have any flaws, the hide was perfect, the coat was perfect, the frame of it was perfect. When everything checked out, every limb was whole, the coat was unspotted, no wounds, no imperfections, no flaws, just all the qualities necessary to make it acceptable to God for all that perfection inside and out it died I could stop here and just preach that hallelujah when Paul said I'm reached towards the mark of the high call. I'm trying to perfect myself. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. Hallelujah. But can I talk to the saints of the most high today? If you're perfect, then the goal of your life is death. For perfection, it meant to die. So what does the shepherd do with the blemished? What does he do with the flawed, the defective lamb? What does he do with the one that doesn't quite make the cut? What plans are there for the one that is scarred? What does the shepherd feel towards the one that has been hurt? Who isn't quite what others are? And I want to preach to all that to get to this point. I preach all of that just to get to this main point. 
and it ought to make people in this house today shout, praise, and go crazy for God. Like how I just threw that in there, right? Hallelujah. Prerequisite. It should make people shout, praise, and go crazy for God. When the shepherd finds a scar, a blemish, a flaw, an imperfection, he looks at the lamb and says, I've got new good news for you. You get to live. The thing you're trying to hide, the thing you're trying to cover up, his shepherd says, if I see it on you, the scar, the imperfection, the good news is you get to live. Now that might not mean much if you came out of your mother's womb talking in tongues. If you've never made a mistake and you've never had a day that you regretted, hallelujah, just sit there and be quiet. But if you came in here knowing it wasn't, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't be here. If you came in and you lived your way in here, hallelujah, can I tell you today, the shepherd loves you anyway. My God. Somebody ought to shout on that right there. Hallelujah. If you came in and you lived, if you came in, you got scarred. If you came in and you've got blemishes, you came in, you got issues. Hallelujah. You should understand the shepherd has looked at you and says, guess what? You get to live. I'll try it this way. If you know the only, the only grace of God brought you here if you only know that only the grace of God brought you here if you know you've got some yesterdays that were, weren't too pretty if you know you didn't deserve to be here somebody that the shepherd loves ought to lift your voice in celebration and give God thanks and praise because you weren't worthy. You didn't deserve it. You've got flaws. You're marked. You've got issues. But the shepherd looked at you and said, guess what? You get to live. You don't get that, we're not going to go any further. The shepherd picks up a wounded sheep. And the shepherd looks at the scar and says, no death for you. I'm not going to get rid of you. You're going to be mine today. You're going to be mine tomorrow. You're going to be mine forever. Welcome to my pasture. Wounded sheep teach Sunday school. Wounded sheep are ushers. Wounded sheep are praisers. Wounded sheep teach Bible studies. Wounded sheep volunteer to be active in the church. You don't have to be perfect in yourself because wounded sheep get to live.
That's not fair, pastor. A perfect lamb went under the knife of the high priest. But a wounded sheep came into the valley a blessing. The wounded sheep came into green pastures. The wounded sheep got to drink beside still waters. The wounded sheep was led by the shepherd. When the shepherd found that scar, he broke into a smile. And he said, good news for you. You get to live. Can I tell you, you know what's out here today in this sanctuary, in this service? Do you know what's out there right now? A flock of full of limping sheep. Everybody in this place limped in here today. Oh my gosh. I said everybody in here limped into this service today. And if you are a guest here and you feel like you wouldn't fit in this church, every sheep in this place has got an issue. Every sheep in this place has got a flaw. Every sheep in the pasture has an issue. But if you would pull the wool back just a little bit, you'd see the scars of our history of mistakes we made. You pull the wool back on us today, you'd see the scars of the history of the mistakes that we made and days which we wish we could relive. Every sheep, every sheep in this place has a yesterday. Every sheep in this place has a yesterday they wish they could undo. But every sheep in this church has another day. Oh my God. Every sheep in this church has another day. It was the day that the shepherd picked them up and said, I know all about it, but I love you anyway. I know all about it, but you're mine anyway. I know all about it, but you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome into the kingdom. You get to live. Can I tell you something? Can I tell somebody today? It's the nature of the shepherd to embrace wounded sheep. It is the nature of the shepherd to embrace wounded sheep you see the process started in the garden of eden i'm gonna bring you somewhere okay the process started in the garden of eden when god had designed has designs on a perfect flock it started in the garden of eden god said okay my design is i'm gonna make the perfect people the perfect couple in the perfect environment and he had perfect designs for a perfect flock, a spotless race to serve him. But from the first two candidates, they were blemished. Adam, the very first one, was scarred. In fact, every man carries his scar. It's an inherited blemish from our father. The writer in Romans said, for as, men, for as by one man's disobedience, 
Many were made sinners. His flaw, his scar has been passed down to us generation by generation. And every baby born from Adam onward were examined and that scar was there. That blemish was there. They were damaged. They were wounded. There was never one that was perfect. Look through the entire Old Testament and you can see that scar in every last one of them. Some were just physically apparent. Some were covered up and hidden. But that scar was on every last one of them. There was never one born that was good enough. Until a little stable outside of Bethlehem and the Lamb of Glory protected, protected from us, from his father's sin by a virgin birth, was born into this world. And for the first time, hell had a problem because there was one good enough to be sacrificed. Mm. There was one that was perfect because even scripture says, who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So Satan said, I've got to get a scar on him. I've got to get a blemish on him. I'm in trouble if I don't get him wounded. Oh. So he goes to him after he's fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Satan shows up and says, turn these stones in the bread. And Jesus says, I don't live by bread alone. He said, jump off the temple and the angels of the Lord will catch you. Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt thy Lord, thy God. Bow down and worship me and all these kingdoms shall be yours. Jesus answered us said unto him get thee behind me Satan for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shall thy serve and Satan departed with his tail between his legs because he knew he left one behind that was still perfect Until Pilate pulls him close the night before his death and examines him and said words that scared the very foundations of hell. When Pilate pulled him in close the night before the death of Jesus Christ and examined him and said words that shook the foundation of hell. He said, I find no fault in him. And for that perfection, he died. You got up this morning. You ate your Pop-Tart. Don't act like you didn't. You got up this morning. You ate your Pop-Tart. Hallelujah. Where's Jaden at? I know Jaden ate some chocolate pop He got up this morning ate your chocolate Pop-Tart. Got dressed. Came to church. And you limped. And for some of, the, some of you, the enemy has been beating you to a pulp. 
telling you you're not good enough to live. You're not worthy enough to live. You're not good enough to live. I wish someone that the enemy was telling you that. I wish you would look back at him and say, you got it wrong. I'm not good enough to die. The enemy is a liar and a father of all lies. He's telling you, you're not good enough to live. You need to turn around and tell him the truth. I'm not good enough to die. But my heavenly father came down, cloaked in flesh. And was the perfect sacrifice. And he died in my stead. So the shepherd wraps his arms around me and you and says, you get to live. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the worshipers. Welcome to the praisers. Welcome to the church. You get to live. <laughs> the Pharisees, which we cannot become. The Pharisees snatched a woman, brought her into the presence of Jesus, threw her at his feet. She has been taken in the very act of adultery. What do you do with her, Jesus? What they really wanted to know and what they really were saying is they only had one question. Does she live or does she die? Their words. Do we kill her or do we let her go? Does she live or does she die? That's what we want to know. And I can see Jesus in a way. If you let me elaborate just a little bit. I see Jesus in a way saying, well, is she perfect? Perfect? She's not perfect. She's violated the Ten Commandments. She was caught committing adultery. She's not perfect. She's damaged. And I can see Jesus saying, okay, well, then you can't kill her. You've got to turn her loose into the pasture. She gets to stay. You can't kill her. But let me direct your attention here to the only one in this story, in this place, who qualifies for what you want to do. Let him that was without sin among you. Jesus said, let him that's without sin among you. Only one there, Jesus. If you're looking to kill somebody, I'm the only one in this whole story that measures up. If you're looking for a sacrifice, I'm the only one that's perfect. Now you listen carefully what Jesus said to that lady. Neither do I condemn. Go and sin no more. He didn't say just keep doing what you're doing. 
I just threw that in there because I know somebody going to walk out of here and say, well, pastor said, hallelujah, praise God, I'm blemished, I'm flawed, and I could do whatever. No, Jesus said, I don't condemn you and go sin no more. He didn't say keep doing what you're doing. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't change our lives. I'm only saying when we come to God, he doesn't push us away because we got scars. Because we got blemishes. Because we've messed up. This here is for whosoever will. This is for every broken, wounded, limping, damaged sheep. Can I get real today? I'll just, I'll just damage it right here. This is for whosoever will. And we cannot get into the mindset, hallelujah, well, I'm flawed because I am a gossiper. And I belong here. But the one that has dealing with homosexuality doesn't belong. What makes you think that you belong and somebody else doesn't belong? If he finds a scar, if he finds a blemish, if he finds a mark, if he finds, hallelujah, it's for whosoever will. And if you come in, he will change you. If you come in, he will change your life. The shepherd says, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what your opinion says, it means the shepherd says, you are welcome here. You didn't get it, hallelujah. The shepherd says, you're welcome here. I'm overwhelmed with that kind of mercy. I'm overwhelmed with that kind of grace. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because he's good. I want somebody to get that. I'm not here, hallelujah, because of what I've done, because I'm good, because I deserve it. No, I'm here because he's good. He bought it. He sacrificed. He's the only one that could do it. That's why I get frustrated, and I hope you will hear, Pastor, today and not get upset. If you do, you have to pray through. I get upset when we have to beg a congregation of redeemed people to worship. I get frustrated when we have to beg and plead. For a congregation of redeemed people to worship. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. When the praise team has to do everything they have to do. Stand on their head and beg and plead to give us something more than just. Praise God. 
Hallelujah. Yeah, you sound good. Praise God. Hallelujah. We should be ashamed of ourselves. Of people that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've got to come, we got to beg and plead to get something more out of you than just this. Do you not understand that you limped your way in here? And the shepherd says, I know all about what you're going through. I know all about what's in your life. I know all about of what's going in your mind. And I still love you anyway. You came in here with baggage. And the shepherd says, I love you anyway. Hallelujah. When I get a chance to tell the shepherd how thankful I am. When I get an opportunity to give him praise. I don't need a keyboard. I don't need drums. I don't need a bass. I don't need the praise team. I just need to look at my scar. I just need to look at my wound and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my life. I just got to look at the mistakes and say, thank you, Jesus. You look at your scar and say, I came from a broken family. But thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I made a mistake. But thank you, Jesus. I've got some damage in my life. But I just want to say, thank you, Jesus. Preacher, you don't understand. I was molested as a child. I've felt dirty ever since, the sh ever since that time. Can I tell you, the shepherd sees your scar. And he still loves you. Preacher, you don't know. I've made some horrible mistakes in my life. I've backslidden several times. The shepherd knows. And he still loves you. I battle my temper. It gets the best of me at times. The shepherd knows and still loves you. I've done some things I can't even mention, Pastor. The shepherd knows and still loves you. You know what needs to happen right here, right now? Some wounded sheep, hallelujah, some wounded sheep just need to walk down to this altar. You know what needs to happen right now? I don't feel to go any further. You know what, you know what needs to happen right now? Some wounded sheep need to limp down here and say, God, I just want to take a few minutes and say, thank you, Jesus. For everything that you've done for me. Somebody needs to come down here and find some liberty that's been robbed from you. Find some liberty that the enemy has tried to steal from you. Hallelujah. Because the enemy keeps reminding you of your past. But the shepherd knows. And he told me to tell you, the shepherd has a place for you in his pasture. You need to thank him at the altar. You need to thank him in the aisleway. You need to thank him at your seat. You need to say, thank you, Jesus. When I look at my scar, my blemish, my problem, my issues.
I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. But I thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done. If you're not comfortable coming